0: This is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open-source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics open-source software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode.
1: This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at SustainOSS.org.
0: On the panel today are Andrea Gallo.
1: Hi, Georg. Hi, everyone. Very glad to be here
2: again. I'm with Linaro. I'm responsible for membership development. We do a lot of work around open source. Primarily, we maintain and the ARM architecture in the kernel. We do a lot of work in improving the overall open source status for the ARM ecosystem. And uh, I've been with the Chaos uh, board since the beginning.
0: Excellent. Georg Link. Hi, everyone. Georg here. Super excited to be with you again. I am the director of sales at Viturgia one of the co-founders of the chaos project maintainer of several working groups and also your host for today's episode and i'm super excited to introduce our guest luis Canas, who is someone that i've gotten to work with at Biturgia over the last year and a half and he is also the one if you have wondered who designed the logo that we have for our podcast. Uh, We had a little contest on the Chaos mailing list for what our logo should be, and Lewis submitted the winning design. And so I'm super happy to bring him on and hear his story. So Lewis, could you tell us more about yourself?
3: Hi, hi, everyone. Well, I'm super excited to be here. So thank you so much for, for inviting me. You know, I love to create logos and the stuff, but I'm very awful at drawing. I don't know how to draw. So when I saw the contest, I saw an opportunity to create a logo. You know, I created the logo we use when we were part of the research group in Madrid before we created Viterja. So, but that was an awful logo, but I guess that the rest of the people were worse than me. So I created the logo we were using for years. And this time, I think I got lucky. So, so I got something that is kind of sexy, so I'm glad you like it.
0: Yes. Well, we voted and there were more than just me who liked the logo. So what about yourself? You're at Biturgia. I know you're one of the co-founders, so let's uh, start with what you're doing now. And then maybe you can tell us a little bit how things evolved to get to this point.
3: My current role in Vitergia is, well, I'm the customer support manager. I'm also the project manager in Vitergia, so but I moved recently from the engineering team. So since we created the company, uh, we are a small company. So in this kind of companies, you tend to do several things uh, during the, the different years. Well, we started Bitergia in 2012, and most of us, I mean, most of the people who created the company, were involved in a research group which name was Riversoft in Madrid in the University of Juan Carlos. So we were working there for kind of a decade. Well, one of them was the leader of the research group, which is Jesus Barahona. And the rest of us were were working there. And Danny and me, Daniel and me, finished the the degree in that university and started to work on that group. And basically we were there for a decade. And when we ended, to be plain and honest with you, we had no funding, we had no research projects. I started to, to see myself with a tie and with a suit in an office and I was kind of scared. So I started to talk to Danny. I remember the image. I remember the, the place we were talking about this and, and we were like, well, maybe we should start thinking about creating something. And we got a request from Stefano Maffuli, who was by that time the community manager in OpenStack. He was asking for something that was not related to research anymore, because it was something that is really something that, say, ready to be done in the industrial side. So we started to think about creating something related to metrics. And then we started to talk with some folks, with the leader of the group, with Jesus, with our Castillo, with some of them more. And we created the company with our own money, because in Spain, it's quite hard to get funding. So We got basically the the money we get for some of us got the money. The states give us for the unemployment. So you you can get that money and and get it in the bank if you create the company. So you see the the money in your account for less than a day and the money goes to the the company. So this is how we put the money and the company we started in 2012.
0: So you were at the research group and you were already doing research into open source communities and metrics, and you're building out the tools, and then you had requests for more metrics than what was research-related.
3: Yeah, Jesus Barona was doing many things related to open source and to uh, studying the impact in diverse software. So, and he started in the, in 98, I think. So, yeah, but to be honest, I did several things, not all of them related to research activities, but I was there participating and supporting the the research folks.
2: I'm curious, if I may ask, when you started the company, did you follow those kind of management books or starting the company Uh, for dummies? uh, Those kind of books, first you need a mission, a vision, or or how was that?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I, I love that question. You know, I was a fan of Guy Kawasaki. I'm not sure if you know that guy He was working for Apple and I was like watching him, like play the, the passion, the motivation and that kind of stuff. But yeah, we were kind of inspired, but to be honest, we were from the very beginning, very practical, very pragmatic. And I think this, this is why we are here yet, <laughs> because as I said, in Madrid, in Spain, it's, the, the funding is it's, it's a, bit different. It's a bit different from the States. So it's a bit more difficult. But I think that what's the success of our company was the group, the people. We were very pragmatic. We were very honest to each other and we had experience in the things that we were doing at that time.
2: So providing real engineering value in a true open source engineering community way.
3: Yeah, but you, you know, yeah, this is something we've been discussing since the very beginning because our data is not used by engineers. I'm an engineer, and I would love to do that. But our main focus was from the very beginning, measure communities and to study the impact and the, the population of those communities and the, you know the, how big they are, the, the main players, the, the pollution, the, the risk of the communities. So we had to decide, do we want to provide data for engineering teams, which is something pretty focused, with something pretty. I, I find it very interesting, but we we had to decide and we decided to push in the community side.
2: So th- some people say that maybe this is one of the buzz ways of saying data is the new oil. But I was chatting with Marika, who is also from Bitergia, and uh, the comment we were sharing is that it's not data the new oil, but maybe it's the way you use the data or the metrics can be the new oil. What do you think?
3: You know, I've been asked lately about something, yeah, about this question, but I read a book uh, kind of uh, half a year ago, which title is uh, The Tyranny of Metrics. And I discovered a definition, a concept uh, called uh, metrics fixation. Basically, one of the things that I'm concerned about this definition is that in the current companies and the current boards of the companies, the upper levels want to get metrics because they love to get beautiful numbers so they don't need the people who understand what is behind. So of course, data is very important. Of course, data in the future is going to be even more important. But without the knowledge of the data behind, I I think we are running risks when we don't want to have the people to uh, interpret that data. So data is the new goal the new oil data plus the people who interpret that data is the new oil i'm pretty sure of that
2: so you and your tools and your metrics and what we are doing in Chaos, we turn data into oil we produce value
3: yeah yeah we try we try but for instance there is a very common feature request can you compare projects well can you compare even the activity of, of two contributors so some of them create commits very small comments but some of them create very big commits i mean in, in terms of that the lines change so can you compare this the, the activity with only the that number so it's something quite complex so until you don't understand the whole process behind the number you cannot you cannot get the, the it's called the conclusion. So this is a risk when I see that a lot of people is talking about metrics, 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 with no interpretation of the metrics. I mean, if we wanted to get only one number, this is something that is going to be risky from my point of view. And I would love to have a beautiful, nice indicator to say, okay, this is good and this is bad. But this is something that is going to be only useful for a specific case. That's my point.
2: Uh, Georg, if I hand this over to you, this sounds to me, what Louis has just uh, mentioned, this sounds to me very much aligned to the discussions, the recent discussion with the last few months in the chaos board, adding interpretation to the metrics.
0: Yes. So I was just thinking back as Louis was talking about how we started chaos three years ago and I was still working on my PhD in research. I haven't been this long in the space as Lewis and others have been. And I was super happy when we started chaos that Petrugia would be one of the co-founders bringing in all of this experience. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about what experiences you've had Lewis, so far and the conversation Like comparing projects. That's something we've heard from the beginning. And recently, one thing we've been advancing in chaos is how do we even have like standard reports or something where we can have a project come to chaos, say, hey, I want to understand how is my community doing? I want some insights. And so, one of the new things, if you go to our website under initiatives, so chaos.community, and then in the menu, there's initiatives, community reports. You can now request a report for your own community. And we've decided on some of the metrics that we've been defining over the last three years to be the default visualizations that we show. It's not going to give a full, complete picture. Like Louis said, you still need that history of the community and you need that insight to interpret what the data is showing you but we're experimenting with a way of saying here is some key insights go just request the report we give you a pdf back and then we can have a dialogue about this and maybe there's something that sparks interest for even more insights so is that the conversation andrea that you were referencing
2: Yeah, exactly. Yes. Because I remember when we started, we started creating the different working groups and coming up with a significant number of metrics to be defined and implemented. And I think everyone can see the history in uh, the Git repo, even Git for the specification of the metrics. And then we started wondering, have we defined too many? How do we bring some order in the chaos of metrics? (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. And Luis, how many tens or hundreds of metrics do you have available? And do you have a subset of the most common ones that you recommend to start with? I have my
3: favorite ones, but to be honest, I don't know the numbers we provide by default. I know that the ones that we are using in my units with a customer manager, but I love one, one which was requested very long ago, maybe because I was coding it. This is why I I love it so much. But by that time, the community manager of Lyraid wanted to know whether his team was attending the newcomers, the new contributions quickly. And so we weren't measured the difference between the reviews when the submitter was uh, someone paid by that company or a volunteer. And I love that metric because for this specific scenario, it was very useful. If you want your community to attract more people you have to treat them very well so you have to attend them very quickly and you have to provide feedback if you do that you're not going to get the the newcomers and the and the new contributions so this is one of my favorite ones lately what i'm using is basically for customer support requests from customer support units in vitergia we are measuring the ticket and the medium time we spend in attending them and this is a pretty basic, pretty, pretty basic ticket, I mean, metric, but it's quite useful to us. So this could be a, an example of, okay, which basic metric is making your life easier? This one is one of them that for us is pretty useful.
0: The metric that we're mentioning about contributions from our own organization, from outside, from the larger community, that is something in chaos I know we had a really long conversation about, because how do you identify contributors in open source and their organizational affiliation? You maybe have a list of your own employees and their GitHub names if you ask them for it. But then if you want to not just know who is inside, who is from the larger community, you actually want to know what other organizations they're from, it gets very challenging. At times,
3: by that time, what our environment was a community uh, driven by mostly driven by a single company. So they basically they, they knew all of the people involved in the community. So that was why uh, this team, I mean, the, the team working for this company knew all the people, but for a big community with dozens of companies, it is something, yeah, yeah this is something quite different.
0: So from your long history of working with metrics and working with users of these open source metrics, are there any do's and don'ts or any, anything that you would take away from this experience and say, someone who is doing this work, here are some pitfalls that you need to be aware of?
3: Yeah, I love the way Daniel Izquierdo, who is working with, who is also one of the co-founders of the company. I love the way he explained this, but you should not start with a metric. If you start with a metric, you get biased. So you have to start with the goal and you have to work on getting that goal and to start having questions. So you don't have these as a starting point, you are going to, to fail because you are going to start seeing what you have, which can be a metric. And you are going to use it, even if it is not your primary goal. And this is something a bit funny because we tend to forget quite easily our main goal, main focus. And this is very basic, I think, but is the main pitfall I've seen during my, my years in Victoria.
0: Yeah, that's very powerful and something that in chaos we've learned from. <laughs> Daniel was very Influential in how in chaos, we are organizing our metrics, following this goal question metric approach in even documenting the metrics. So everything has a goal, like we want to understand the value of our open source communities, or we want to understand the risk in our communities. And then we have these questions, and then the metric follow after that. So that was a very guiding principle. In that we've adopted in chaos.
1: While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the Sustained community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time, we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustainOSS on Twitter. One of my favorite
2: metrics is the geography one that Dawn has been driving in the definition. Because when you are the upstream for an open source project, you are the owner of an open source project. You are interested in understanding how successful you are. And one of the ways is to look at where the contributions come from. And so it's not only whether the contributions come from your own company, primarily from your company or from a diverse set of companies, but also geographically in the world, where they come from. If you are based in a country in Europe and every contribution comes from that country, or then we use the time zone. So that time zone and nothing from the US or nothing from Asia. Are you really a successful project? So I find that quite a fascinating one. Very fascinating metric. What's your favorite one, Luis?
3: Hmm. This is a tough question. Well, uh, there's one I, I like it also very much, which is the, the elephant, elephant factor which is based on the buzz factor metric. Basically it's, it measures the number of companies involved in most of the activities to show whether the community is in risk because only a, a few big players are leading the, the community. So this is, yeah, this is one of my favorite ones.
2: You know what, hey. the elephant metric is my, is the number two in my list. And it was the other, the second metric I was discussing with Dawn a year ago or more, was one of the examples that I was uh, bringing with me to the first Chaos meetings. And I was in the early days, when we started Chaos, I was comparing the open source project behind the, the Firefox browser Mozilla and the Chrome code base, the WebKit project. And I could see that in the Mozilla code base, it was a continuous steady, slow growth in terms of number of commits, number of new lines of code added. It was continuous, smooth, slow, steady, with a large number of contributors. Then I looked at WebKit and it was like a staircase. Flat, no code contribution, then suddenly a big bunch of code added. And so I started looking into it. And then you realize that you have few companies that, con- that drive it for the commercial products. And it makes sense. So that was one of my favorite too. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for raising it. Carol, which yeah. one is your favorite one? I'm turning this from, from a, <laughs> a panel to, <laughs> to a round conversation.
0: Yeah. Be- before I go into other metrics, I wanted to pause a little bit on the elephant uh, metric, which we have defined in chaos. And it's similar to the bus factor that a lot of people might know as well. And I just want to make sure that we are clear on this differentiation, because I sometimes see some confusion with the elephant factor. We are looking at the organizations involved. So there can be multiple people from the same organization, but if the organization changes focus or decides not to invest in an open source project anymore then all of those people would likely be leaving at the same time. And this is the difference to the bus factor, where the bus factor is looking at individual contributors and the people involved in a project. And so while a project might look like it has a pretty large bus factor with 10 people contributing 50% of the code base, they might all be coming from the same company sitting in the same department, having the same boss, which, Louis, you called it the boss factor. And if the team gets refocused, then yeah, we want to know the elephant factor here. So, what is my favorite metric? You know, I don't have a real favorite metric, to be honest. The space that I hang out in quite a bit the diversity and inclusion metrics. And they are important to me because a community that is welcoming and inclusive is super important to just having a healthy environment where people like to be. But these metrics are also more difficult because the collecting the data on how people feel is Is not easy. So it's an interesting challenge that we're working on there. And then another one that I really enjoy the conversations in are the value metrics, where we talk about okay, what's the value that an open source project has? And we recently decided to break this out into different types of value. But we now decided that we want to look at social value. Organizational value, individual value, and communal value, where social value is what is the project doing outside of just the project and its members to improve society? So, digital public goods is another name that we've heard recently looking at projects that are, you know, for COVID related. Uh, Things or supporting nonprofits, that kind of thing. Organizational value is what's the monetary value that organizations get out of a project or perceive in it. Individual value is what is the value that individual contributors on a project get from being part of that project, like honing the skills and getting job offers because they know the technology that companies are looking for. And then the communal value is the value that we create in the open source ecosystem to other projects, to the downstream projects that are relying on us, or if we are very good contributors to the dependencies that we rely on, even contributing upstream. So those are very interesting conversations that I enjoy less so than individual metrics where i'm like oh that's a favorite
2: we chatted about the most favorite metrics do you have one that is the most controversial the most difficult tool to use or the one that is easy to get fooled by i'm not sure if you're familiar with the term vanity metrics but
3: the criticism behind those this definition is that some metrics are only relevant to you know to measure the egos of some players of the, the community so those metrics could be understand, for instance, some examples could be like the list of entities like companies or contributors in a project. So, so maybe the goal is more important if you measure the, the overall activity. But I don't fully agree, because it depends. If you are only using a table with the most relevant people, yeah, I do agree you are using a vanity, vanity metric. But if you are having a look at the overall, I'm pretty sure that it, could, it is going to be interesting to know who is doing, for instance, who is adding more lines of code or contributing with more commits? So, this is kind of the controversial side I see, but uh, I partially agree, depending on the use you do of the metric.
0: The vanity metrics, we have an entire episode number nine that I recommend people check out on vanity metrics and the defense of vanity metrics. Because as you said, there are cases where a metric is not helpful. It's just something, oh, here, look at this nice number going up top right. We are improving, but not really understanding what's driving that number or what that actually means for the community. But having such a graph or vanity metric can still drive real value and get people interested. Popularity of a project, is something that we are discussing right now in the value working group is based on metrics that others would call vanity metrics, because it doesn't give them actionable insights on what to actually do in the community. But the popularity of a project, like number of stars, how many blog posts are there about it? How many people talk about it? Is it in job postings? Those things still drive interest in the project and adoption growing the community in the end. So it's vanity metric sometimes, but other times it drives value. So we are also coming to the end of our episode. Luis, if people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you online? Well,
3: I would love to say that I have a very active blog, (laughs) but it is not. So, but my blog is, is called Libre Software People's Front. Uh, the title is inspired in Monty Python. So uh, I would love that uh, to offer more content there. And maybe I can offer more content as so, well. so basically this is, the, this is the, the place where I post some items during my idle time, which is not very big at the moment.
0: All right, we'll put a link in the show notes. We always like to round off our episodes with the value adds or. Picks where we highlight something that has brought joy and value and meaning in our lives. This can be an open source library or software that we've discovered that is making our lives easier or something unrelated or some metric, favorite metric that you've used recently.
2: (laughs) From my side, at the beginning of this conversation, we discussed the logo. Used for this podcast. And Louis loves designing logos, has been designing logos for his companies, and his logo was selected for this podcast. So while you were describing this, I'm a huge fan of Queen and the Queen and Adam Lambert. And so I just had this image in mind. And I remember reading in uh, books that Freddie Mercury started at art college and he designed the Queen crest logo. So my value from this conversation will be to invite people to go and buy one of those uh, books that tell you the history behind the first years of Queen, their albums, their songs, and the logo.
0: Awesome. Thank you. I'm having a hard time coming up with pick today. What's been going on in my life is we recently grew our family and it finally starts to feel complete. So now we have two teenagers living with us and it's been a joy. So that's been taking up a lot of my headspace. space. do you have anything? Yeah. You know, well, I have two kids.
3: The little one is six months old, so my slots of time are very short. But I have two things that are I've enjoyed in my life. One of them is a comic book, which name is Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. I do recommend it. I like it very much. And the other one is a video game I'm enjoying with my partner. She is not the kind of person that likes video games, but uh, we found one who is very, very interesting to her and its name is Detroit Become Human. It's an adventure game. We are having a lot of fun. You know with the kind of questions that this game starts to populate in your head. So this is a pretty nice game for the kind of people that, you know, that don't like the typical
0: action games in video games. Excellent. Thank you, Luis. And it is time to say thank you. Thank you, Lewis, for coming on as a guest today. Thank you for the
3: invitation and, and thank you for your time.
0: Thank you to Andrea for being on the panel today.
2: Thank you, Gerald. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Luis.
0: And thank you to you, our listener, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us at podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community.